It is good to have you in this place today, whether you're with us on campus or with us online or later this week on demand. And um, as we're finishing up this series, we've got one more week in this Come Out Swinging series. Uh, We come to a place where uh, we need to talk about some stuff that's pretty pretty important. Uh, But but before we do, um, I need to tell you some stories about kind of this whole concept of integrity. How many of you watched the Olympics this summer? You watch, watch the Olympics? Okay. So did you see where they have, they have the winner of the gold medal pose for a picture where they're biting the gold medal? Have you seen this? They, they, they do that and they bite. Did you know that the gold medals for the Olympics have not been made out of pure gold since 1912? I mean, the, the, the first Olympics, they didn't give away, like, medals. And, and, and then the, the second Olympics, they, they did give away silver medals that were the, the best. They actually were first place. And, and then they, the third Olympics, they gave gold medals, and they were pure gold. But in 1912 was the last time that they gave away pure gold medals. Those gold medals that they, that they give away are actually, they're actually gold and 94% silver. Now, you're going, Pastor, why does that make a difference? Well, here's, do you know why they bite gold? See, back in the 19th century when when prospectors were looking for gold and people would come in to make sure the gold was pure, gold is a soft metal and and when it's pure, when it's 100% gold, you could literally take a bite out of it, not like chew it, but you could make a a dent in it with your teeth. And so the prospectors or the assayers, when they were looking at gold, they would take it and they would buy. And so this is a a symbol, but these guys have been doing this now for over a hundred years when it's not really gold. It's silver. And, and I, I, when I found that out, I, I remembered a story from when I was growing up. In fact, the man who's responsible for that story is here today. I didn't know he was coming until yesterday. His name is Charles Starr, Charlie Starr. Brother Charlie is back here. Brother Charlie was my junior boy's Sunday school teacher when I was in the third grade in Madisonville, Kentucky. I'm old. That makes Charlie ancient, all right? Uh, and uh, he, his son, Steve, was like my best friend. And Charlie worked in, worked in the mines in uh, western Kentucky in those days. And uh, I used to play at his house a lot. My father was his pastor. And, and so I would be at their house and playing with Steve. And we, we, we played all over. First, when he made a zip line. You remember a guy making a zip line for third graders? Okay. I mean, that's like, yeah, all right. We were, we were at it. And uh, one day, Steve and I got in the back of Charlie's truck. Now, people, I'm not sure we were supposed to be in the back of that truck, but we were. And so we went in, and we're going through, and there was some, some coal and some rocks and some stuff from the mines that were in the back of the truck. And as we're going through it, it's just rocks, right? And two third-grade boys, we find gold. I mean, there's gold. You know, I mean, we're picking it up. It's nuggets of gold. We went running into the house going, we are rich. We are rich. We have gold. To which Brother Charlie said, boys, I hate to tell you, but that's called fool's gold. It's called pyrite. It is not pure gold. 
Now, why would I tell you that story and tell you about gold medals that are not really gold, that are 94% silver? Oh, and by the way, that's another fun story when you do a little Google research on this. The medals, okay? A gold medal from the Olympics you're, you're currently is going to be worth about $500. A silver medal is going to be worth about $400. That 6% gives 100 bucks. But a bronze medal, the bronze in it costs you $2.50. Thank you very much, all right? And, and it's just the difference in the price of the metals. But here's, the, here's what I'm telling you. Sometimes in our world, particularly now, coming out of, we hope, a pandemic or living through a pandemic, the concept of something being pure and something being consistent and something having integrity is huge. Because right now, we've got people all over the world who are looking for people of integrity. I mean, can you, can you not feel the tension? Some of you who are university students, we want to thank you so much for the way many of you registered uh, when we were over at the freshman fair and you like, clicked on the QR code and, and, uh, for a chance to win a, one of the mugs from Eastside Pottery and, and uh, a Starbucks card and all of that kind of stuff. But, but can I tell you, uh, Pastor Kayla... Harden, our congregational pastors, our congregational connections pastor, included on that QR code. Those of you who filled it out, remember, there was a place on there for you to get information about the church, but also to give us a prayer request. And here's what we found out. I won't reveal anybody's individual prayer request in a public way, but we were blown away that almost 70% of the students that filled out that QR code put a prayer request on. And can I tell you something? Over 80% of those prayer requests were about anxiety. Over 80% of those prayer requests from, from university freshmen were about, hey, I'm anxious. This, this, is, this is all new stuff, and I'm in a crazy world, and, and the world's been, been not anything stable. Would you just pray for me for my anxiety? And so this morning, as, as we're talking about what it means to impact the world with integrity, I, I want us to be better than Olympic gold. I want us to actually be 100% pure and, and 100% gold and not just like 94% in terms of our relationship with God. And, and I, I need to let you know that, that in the story that I'm going to read for you in a moment from the book of Acts, there's a, there's a man who, who demonstrates in his life if you see his whole life, a very important truth that you've got to know. Because I'm not here to guilt you or shame you today. I'm not here to tell you you need to try harder to have integrity. Because here's what I know. I know that left to your own resources, I know that left to my own resources, we cannot be people of integrity. If the last 18 months has shown us anything about human wisdom and human knowledge, it's that integrity is something humans are incapable of having on their own. But... When the man I'm about to tell you about met Jesus, Jesus flipped him 180 degrees from where he was going, sent him in an entirely new direction, and began to make him a man of tremendous integrity, so much so that, that in the story I'm about to read for you, he, he gathers a group of people together and he makes this statement to them. He says, you know how I have lived among you. 
In fact, he would also have so much confidence in what Jesus had done in his life that he would write to another group of people and say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. And and what he's saying is, look, I have so been changed by Jesus that I'm willing to say to you, if you will live the way I'm living, you will know Jesus too. Now, I want you to think about that statement. I want you to think about that in light of what's been going on in our world in the last few years, even before the pandemic, but particularly in the pandemic. I mean, how many times can they change the directions on how we're supposed to be safe? How many times can we have the scientific evidence counteract the scientific evidence? And how many times can can we find out that somebody we've held up in esteem and someone we've held up highly as a person of integrity has no integrity at all? I remember early in my ministry as as a young, young pastor, we were going through another season in the life of the church, much like the season we've been through in the last couple of years, where nationally known pastors and, and Christian leaders were, were being discovered to have been people who didn't have integrity at all. People who, who said one thing and did something else. Whose private life didn't match up with their public life. And, and so I remember saying to, a, to an older pastor at that point in time, oh, it's never been this bad at all. And he looked at me and smiled and said, would you like the names of the people who did the same thing when I was your age? And now, a couple of decades later, when I hear people say to me, oh, because of this famous pastor or this famous Bible teacher or this famous person, I'm, I'm not going to church anymore. I, I, I don't have any faith in their integrity at all. The church is full of hypocrites. Yes, welcome. One more is not going to hurt us, okay? You just come right on in. But the story I'm about to read for you is a, is a story about a man who found that there is a way to live with integrity, and it makes an impact. And in the, in the passage I'm going to read for you, he, he, he tells us, he tells the group of people he's talking to how you do that. And he models it for us. And so what I want to invite you into today is an opportunity not to be satisfied with fool's gold. I want to ask you not to be like my friend Stevie and I run into his dad going, hey, we got it. No, no, I want you to find the real thing. I want you to be, I want you to find out that there's there's more to life than just a gold-plated Christianity that underneath is entirely something else. But then instead, there is a way to live your life and it's a, it's a Christian way. It's a follower of Jesus way. And it's a way that can be marked by integrity. Because here's what I know. I know that the world, all over the world right now, people are looking for something constant. People are looking for someone who will be a person of integrity. And so whatever your world looks like, wherever you live, whatever's going on, whether you're here with us on campus, you're watching us online, whether you're in the United States or somewhere else in the world, what I want you to know is the Bible shows us in the life of a man named Paul how to become a person of integrity and how to make an impact. And and it doesn't come from your effort It comes from the work of Jesus in your life. So listen to the story. For those of you who've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been talking about the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. 
and that he's on his way back in Acts chapter 20. He's, he's left Ephesus, where, and he stopped at a place called Troas, and in Troas, there's this miraculous raising of uh, Eutychus from the dead, and now he's traveling on toward Jerusalem. He's trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Now, can you imagine, if, if you know what Pentecost is, the, the day when the church was born, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the followers of Jesus, and that, could, that had to be like an amazing celebration every year to go back to Pentecost. Now, I, I know there was a Jewish Passover going on and Jewish Pentecost, all of that, but no, at the day of Pentecost, the Christians in that first century, they're celebrating. Paul's, Paul's trying to get back to the church in Jerusalem with this amazing offering from the new churches that he's founded. And, and they're going to help the church in Jerusalem, and he wants to get there by Pentecost. But, but along the way, he's doing an amazing thing on, on the Aegean Sea. The way you traveled there in those days was by, by boat, you went from island to island to island to, to, so that the winds would not take you way out into the places you didn't want to go. The, the boats literally would go one day from this island to the next island to the next. And he gets to a place called Miletus. Now he's bypassed Ephesus because he didn't want to be caught up there, but, but he feels something in his spirit that he needs to talk to the people he left in Ephesus who are leaders for the church, the, the overseers, the elders for the church that had grown during his over three years teaching in Ephesus. So in Acts chapter 20, I'm going to start reading um, at the, the verse 17. Listen to this passage and, and listen to what he says to these people. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. But I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all and to all the flock the people to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, which he, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and, and from among your own selves will arise people t speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish any, everyone with tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are set apart, who are sanctified. I I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul gets gets these people together and he shares this speech with them that I just read for you. But in the speech, it's, it's a... It's a communication of of what his life has been about. And he starts off with that premise that I told you a minute ago. When he said, you know how I have lived among you. Now, I want you to think about that. Are you willing to say to somebody, you know how I've lived among you? I grew up in a preacher's home. I grew up in a preacher's home where the preacher, my dad, had been raised in a family that wrestled with some stuff in their family system. His father, his mother, his mother died when he was two. His father was so distraught from the death of his wife, leaving him with a two-year-old boy, that he began to drink heavily. In fact, my, my paternal grandfather died at 40 years of age from cirrhosis of the liver. He literally drank himself to death. My father grew up being raised by his grandparents. And and I remember so many times when I was a boy, my father saying to my brothers and myself, now boys, listen, just because I'm a preacher doesn't make you special. You have to come to a knowledge of Jesus yourself. You have to come to the place where you, where you are willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, you be in charge of my life. See, that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul knew that according to his own abilities, he couldn't have integrity. And, and, yet, and yet, that's the calling. You see, Christian integrity is marked by a, a consistency in lifestyle. And so what my father would always say to us is, boys, listen to me. He, crazy thought. He gave us permission. He would say, hey, if I get up in front of a group of people and you're standing there and I start talking about doing this for Jesus and doing that for Jesus and I'm not living that way at home, you boys call me on it. Oh, we were ready. So when I became a pastor and then God blessed me with two sons throughout their lives, they're now grown men who are serving God and doing great stuff and I'm proud of both of them, but, but I can tell you that, that there have been many times when I've, I've told them, am I the same person outside of the sanctuary that I am in the sanctuary? Am I the same person when I'm your dad that I am when I'm on a platform talking to people about Jesus? Because here's what I want to be. I want to be consistent. And I have to tell you, in the times when I try to be consistent, I fail. And so will you. And so did Paul. I mean, this is the same guy. Paul was raised in church. Paul was raised in the synagogue. Paul, Paul was a man who knew all the Old Testament, knew it better than almost anybody else in his family, in his circle. 
He was, by his own admission, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had risen to the ranks of, of a religious leader in Israel. And yet when they were killing Stephen for talking about Jesus, Paul stood and held the cloaks of the people who were throwing the rocks to kill another man. And the scripture tells us that he gave his approval. You want to talk about inconsistency. Paul was the epitome of inconsistency. And yet what was Paul doing? Paul, Paul was doing what he thought was right and yet it was wrong. Have you ever been there? Have you done what you thought was right and it ended up being wrong? Then one day he met Jesus on a Damascus road. And Jesus said to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know why I came? And Paul suddenly became a brand new person. And over the years between that encounter on the Damascus Road and this, this session in, in Miletus where he's talking to the, the elders of the church in Ephesus, over these three missionary journeys, over the decades in between those experiences, you can see the difference in him. And that's what I want you to understand is that the integrity that will impact the world, the integrity that you long for cannot come from your own effort. It can only come from the, from the presence of Jesus in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you don't experience some spiritual disciplines. It doesn't mean you don't try to read your Bible regularly. It doesn't mean that you need to just go with the flow. No, no, no. It means that you need to allow, allow God to work in your life so that you become a person who's consistent in your lifestyle so that you can say, as Paul said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you, I love this, in public and from house to house. What I said in public, I said at your table. What I said in front of thousands of people, I, I said one-on-one -on -one to you. I, I want you to know that it's all about repentance toward God. And faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows he's never going to get to see these people again. He's giving them one last set of instructions for how to live the Christian life. And he starts with this understanding that Christian integrity, Christian integrity is marked by a consistent lifestyle. But that consistent lifestyle is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, Christian integrity is constrained by the Holy Spirit in purpose for our life. Well, that's, those are weird words for our, our generation. Let me explain what Paul's talking about. When he says, the, the Holy Spirit constrains me, what he's saying is he motivates me. He keeps me on focus. He keeps me on task. And he's put a mission and a passion in my life. There's a purpose for why I live. See, listen, I, I think you've got to get this. I think every person on the world was born with a mission. I think the Bible teaches us that every person who is created in the image of God was also created with a purpose for their life. And when you run your life race, you shouldn't run it aimlessly, but instead, if you allow God's spirit, that's that word to constrain you, to, to help you run in the right way. I, I know uh, over the last few weeks, we've had some cross-country runners here and, and, uh, and some track runners. I, I remember as a high school track runner, being at a track meet where um, the last event, 
The last event of the evening was the mile relay. Four guys running a quarter of a mile each. Today it would be 400 meters in the 1600 meter relay. And uh, it was held in a, in a high school in Mississippi where the school and the track and everything, football fields all on one, and, and behind it on the far side, away from the bleachers, was a big open forest, right? And so you've got this race, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a team that is, I mean, by the third leg, they are 100 yards ahead of everybody. And as they're running and handing off the baton, the guy, the guy who gets it last, man, he's going to bring it home. He's going for a record. But he's a, there's nobody close. He's, he's 100 yards ahead of all the other teams. And, I mean, you're watching a record. You're watching something amazing. And he hits the back turn into the back straightaway when suddenly, out of the woods, stark naked, with a bag over his head, with two eyes poked out of the back, comes a guy wearing nothing but the bag and a pair of track cleats. And he just falls right in stride with this guy. And he's running all the way around. And then when he gets to the, I mean, people are going crazy. Security's running. People are laughing. People are crying. Coaches are swearing. It's not a good day. And when they get down to the end of the straightaway, he just runs back off into the woods, right? It's so, it's so interrupted the race that the guy who's winning the race is like, oh my goodness. He won the race. He, he didn't set the record because of the distraction. You see, when, when Paul says the Holy Spirit constrains me to get toward Jerusalem, to stay on my focus, to stay on my mission, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit keeps me from the distractions no matter what comes out of the woods. I mean, look at the scripture again. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city there are imprisonment and afflictions that await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What he's saying is, look, when, when I am so committed to Jesus that I allow him to work in my life and mark my life by a consistency in the way that I live, then the Spirit of God shows me my purpose and he constrains me, he moves me in that direction. And as the Holy Spirit moves me in that direction, I become a person more and more marked by the integrity of God. See, what would the world look like right now if coming out of this pandemic, no matter how much longer it lasts, no matter how many other variants they come up with, no matter how many other vaccines they come up with, no matter where your political position is, what would it look like if the people of God were the people who were so committed to Jesus that we were, that we were the ones constrained by the Spirit of God to make a difference, make an impact with our integrity? Yeah, there are gonna be people who don't, lack, who don't have integrity, that are going to fall and fail and people are going to see it. But, but what would it look like if, if each of us, if each of us became such a person of consistency, if we were so constrained by the Spirit of God that, that suddenly our integrity created a new way of living, a way that follows the footsteps of Jesus in such a close way. In fact, I got to thinking about that this week and I, I thought, you know what, I need to, there's a, there's a word I want to coin a word for you. Preachers and poets are allowed to make up words every once in a while. I'm going to make up a word for you. 
Because I think it will help us. See, I believe that this Christian integrity that's marked by that's marked by consistency in our lifestyle and constrained by the Spirit of God for our purpose, no matter what the distraction is, that that kind of integrity calls us to be careful in our relationships. But I don't mean careful like timid. I mean careful like full of care, full of caring for the people around us. I mean, look at the way Paul says it. Now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Get this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise people, men and women, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. I mean, what would it look like If in the middle of a pandemic, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are the people who care so fully for the people around us that the world knows that we care. I've been amazed in the midst of this pandemic as I've watched watched Christian people care for loved ones. Yesterday, two friends of mine went to be with the Lord. One of them, a Church of God pastor, who contracted COVID and a severe, severe case. And he fought valiantly. But today his congregation in Kansas is worshiping without their pastor shepherd for the first time in their history because he planted that church. And his wife, who's a dear friend to my wife and I, is being held up by the people of God. And I've watched people from around the country extend love and care fully to them. But also yesterday, one of the longtime disciples of Jesus in this congregation went to be with Jesus. She was in her late 80s. She had been in this church since its early days in the 1950s. And during that time, lived just within the shadow of the steeple of this church. And I knew that she was not doing well. I visited with her when she was in the hospital. She was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer just a few weeks ago and told that she only had weeks to live. So on Friday, after I had been in touch with her daughter, who was her primary caregiver, we at the same time, I, I called and she said, I was just about to text you, mama's in a place where I, I, she's rested enough for a visitor. And so I went over to her house and this wonderful lady, this wonderful follower of Jesus, when I walked into her living room in the hospital bed they had for her there, she's setting up, she's waiting on me. And when I walk in, I, I look at her and I said, hey, I just came to pray for you. And she looked at me and said, Pastor, I'm ready to go home. Guys, she was sitting in her home, or her home for over five decades. And and I looked at her and said, I I know what you mean. 
you're at the last part of the race. She said, yes, Pastor, I'm at the last part of the race. I'm ready to go home. And so we prayed. And I have to be honest with you. I believe that God can miraculously heal people. I've seen him do that. But I also know that the greatest healing is to run your race all the way to the end and to step from the presence of humans into the presence of the divine. And so when we finished praying, her daughter said to me, I'll keep you posted. I found out later that a few hours later she went to sleep. And the next time she woke up on Saturday, she woke up in heaven. And later this week, her family will gather in this room and we'll, we'll celebrate her life. And some of us have already started celebrating the things that she brought into our life and the way that she was such a person of integrity and consistency, constrained by the Spirit of God and so full of care. And I just want to say to you this morning, regardless of who you are or where you are or what's happening in your life, you have been called by Jesus Christ, created in his image. There is a mission, there is a purpose for you, and it begins with your willingness to say to him, I'm committed to you. And when I'm committed to you, I'm going to let you shape my life and give integrity into my life. I'm going to let you make me pure gold, not just fool's gold, not just a silver metal covered with a, a, a covering of gold. I'm not just going to try to be somebody so somebody else thinks I'm somebody. I'm going to be the person you want me to be. So that at some point in my life, I'm able to make the transition from heaven, from earth to heaven, and know that my life continues. I'm going to make that opportunity a reality. Not just something I've heard about or read about or my parents talked about, but it's mine. And so... I need you to know that when we're careful, when we're full of care, then that, that integrity seeps out because Christian integrity is committed to the love of Jesus in all of our life. And underneath your pew, your pew, your chairs, that's a Freudian slip, huh? You're going to find what I refer to as a communable it's the communion version of Lunchables. And since the pandemic, this is the way we've had to serve the Lord's table in order for us to be safe. And I, I, I want you to take it out if you're on campus. If you're watching online, they've, the chat room's already given you instructions, and I hope you've prepared to take communion as well. But as I was reading this passage this week, it, something dawned on me as I listened again and again to Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. I mean, look at these last words. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are set apart, who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me, to Priscilla and Aquila and Luke and the others. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and, and there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul, 
kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. As I read those words, I got to thinking about when Jesus talked to the 12 disciples the last night. Both when he washed their feet, and there were 12 in the room. When he broke the bread, and there were 12 in the room. And then when Judas left, and there were just 11 of them left. And Jesus said, every time you do this, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And you know, I, I, over the years of my Christian walk, I've tens of thousands of times have taken a piece of bread and a cup. And, and I've remembered, but sometimes I think we've remembered the wrong things. We've remembered like the miracles that Jesus did that we want him to do again. Oh, we've remembered the fact that he came here to earth. But you know what Jesus was saying that night? He was saying, look, I want you to remember that I'm going to die and that my body is going to be torn apart on a cross and my blood is going to flow freely down my face and my chest and my arms and my legs until I'm dead. And that I'm doing that for you. So every time you drink the cup, remember that my blood frees you from your sin. Remember that my body is the promise that, that the God of the universe who made you came and was one with you. And then ask yourself, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? Because you remember me. And so this morning, the vocal team has come, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to take communion for those of us on campus a little different way today. That's why I ask you to go ahead and take out the cup and the bread. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you in these next few moments to, to, to allow God's Spirit to constrain you, to do for you what he did for Paul. I'm going to ask you to, as the vocal team begins to sing, to find that moment when you take the bread and you take the cup. And then when you have taken it, when you, when you have, in remembering Jesus, said, Jesus, I get it. You died for me so that I could live forever. Then I want to ask you to stand and sing with this wonderful vocal team, with these wonderful words of this song that I've just learned this week that says, you know what? I'm available to do what God wants me to do, to carefully live, to be people of integrity.